How are you guys? Good? Wow. Well, my name is Alan. I do a few things here at Whitewater, but, but mostly I'm just a guy who's grateful to call this church my home. So if you're new here in the building or online, I want to say welcome home. As my mom would say, yes, welcome, take your shoes off. <laughs> Past three weeks, our home has been learning about what it means to be made for more. By looking in the book of Joshua, we're learning that in order to reach our God-given potential, we have to strip away the tradition and build on the foundation that was laid before us. Week one, John talked about how in order to step into your more, you have to be strong and courageous. Week two, we said, okay, so we're going to step into our more, but we need to take that step even in the face of uncertainty. And last week, we learned that in order for us to become more, man, we got to exchange our reputation for a new reality in Christ centered on love. If you haven't been around our home in the past two months, uh, as a church family, we've gone through a big transition, haven't we? From Pastor David to Pastor John. Well, the Israelites went through their own leadership transition. On their way to the land God promised them, which was their more, he gave them a leader in Moses to show them what it was like to follow the Lord. And then after Moses, God gave them Joshua to show them what it was like to fight battles with the Lord. And under Joshua's leadership, man, God showed them something else something you and I can learn from. Through their battle with a town called Jericho, God taught them how to be devoted to him through faithful trust, worship, and discipline. And I'm not talking about that kind of discipline where your parents hit you with a wooden spoon or a belt when you did something bad, but the kind of discipline that shows regimented dedication to something. Because how many know that even though you and I are made for more, more won't happen on its own. But Alan, we've been talking this whole time about how we just need to have faith. Yeah, but faith isn't passive, it's active. Remember that woman that we talked about last week, Rahab? Well, Jesus' own brother, James, wrote this about her in the book of James, chapter 2, verses 25 through 26. It says, Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Your devotion and relationship with Jesus should stir something in you to do. In this case, it's to obey, it's to worship, and spend time with Jesus daily. Let's pray and ask God to teach us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you that we are dry under here, even though it's raining outside. Lord, we love you. Use me to bring your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Cool. Well, let's turn our Bibles over to Joshua 6, 1 through 7. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay, but see someone after, afterwards. We'll give you a Bible today, okay? Now, if you do have a Bible and you didn't bring it, that's all right, but next time bring your Bible, maybe a notepad, maybe a pen, because pretty soon you'll be buying school supplies anyway, and life is a class that never ends. Does anyone want to read? Never mind. Got it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Now, the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go out or in. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times, with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse 
and the people can charge straight into the town. So Joshua called together the priests and said, we need to take up the Ark of the Lord's Covenant and assign seven priests to walk in front of it, each carrying a ram's horn. Then he gave orders to the people, march around the town and the armed men will lead the way in front of the Ark of the Lord. Something I asked after reading this passage for the first time was, why Jericho? Because there are a few reasons why the Israelites probably could have just, like, skipped that part. If the Israelites can walk around the town seven times, couldn't they have just, like, taken the roundabout? You know? Like, they could have just beelined to the other smaller cities and conquered those first. So why Jericho up front? Well, one reason is because previously when God told Moses and the Israelites to go to their promised land to conquer Jericho, they were afraid, so they disobeyed. And their disobedience caused them to wander for 40 years in the desert. That generation of Israelites wouldn't see the land God promised for them. But for this generation, the one led by Joshua, this was a battle for redemption. Here's what my uncle used to say. He used to say, if you don't take care of something now, it'll come back to bite you later on. The town of Jericho and its people would be a pain in the butt regardless if they fought them now or later. See, these walls we're talking about, they're not just like 10 feet tall made out of plywood. These walls were fortified up to 25 feet high and 20 feet thick. There were soldiers that stood guard on top of the wall who could see for miles. Jericho was a symbol of military power and strength. The Canaanites, or the bad guys, considered it invincible. Guess who had something to say about that? Verse 2 says, But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho. In other words, don't worry about it, Josh. I've given you the victory already. I feel like God is telling some folks right now, I've given you the victory over that anger issue already. I've given you victory over your crippling anxiety already. I've given you victory over that loneliness already. I've given you the victory already. Now, do you trust me? Do you trust me enough to do what I say? So why Jericho? Because the bigger the battle for you, the bigger the glory for God. Fam. Let's not forget that life will never be without battles. Life will never be without some kind of wall standing between you and the more you were called to. If we're lucky, we'll realize that the battles we go through are a way for God to train us to become the versions of ourselves that he wants to use for the kingdom. So if God is the one telling us to go through the battle, to go through the walls, then it should relieve the pressure on us, right? Because he's the one that says, I know you're going through a situation right now that seems hopeless. But let's say all this together. Joshua 1.9. Verse of the whole month. Are you ready? This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Man, I dare you to say that every morning before you get out of bed and watch what happens. So... If God's role is to win the victory and to show us what more actually looks like, then what's our role in all this? Do we just twiddle our thumbs and get caught up in Stranger Things season four? Well, God had some instructions for Joshua. He said, he said, one, march around Jericho once a day for seven days straight. Two, have seven priests walk ahead blowing ram's horns. Three, bring that big old box called the Ark of the Covenant with you. Four, on the seventh day, have everyone march seven times. Five, on the last time, have everyone shout as loud as they can. Okay, hot take here. Man, but God talks kind of wacky sometimes. 
Are there any vets who served in the military in the, in the building? Can you just raise your hands? Hey, first of all, could we just thank them? Thank you for your service. Thank you. I got, a, I got a question for you guys, okay? So if you're a general in the military, just like Joshua, and you ask God, your superior officer, Admiral, how do you want us to proceed with the attack? And he says, I want you to march around with some like guitars and just, you know, yell. <laughs> march around? March around, like, like that's not battle, that's exercise. That's getting in steps with my Apple watch. God, come on. That's silly, man. But what's silly for us makes sense for God. You know, we don't know his plans. We don't know his authorship. He's the one that writes the story, not us. Our role is to obey even in absurdity. There are people here in your congregation sitting in these seats with you who obeyed God's commands even though it was ridiculous. Let me prove it. Aaron, one of our awesome volunteers in Harbortown, who is also a part of our young adults group that meets every second Wednesday and last Friday of the month, <laughs> sent me this text a month ago. Hey, Alan, it's Aaron. I wanted to share a Jesus moment I had with you. So I missed all of last week at work because my anemia was really severe and I couldn't get out of bed, which meant I was not going to get a paycheck this week. On Sunday, I felt this really big tug on my heart to donate money to the church for the first time. Even though I don't really have a whole lot, I had 50 bucks in my bank account, so I gave 25 to the General Church Fund and 25 to the David Vaughn Legacy Fund, leaving me with no money left and no paycheck on the way. Not overly smart. But God was just really telling me that's what I needed to do. Today, when I woke up and checked my bank account, there was a deposit of $450 from a job I haven't worked at in four months. Apparently, some delayed paycheck of some kind. When I say I was in tears, I'm not even kidding a little, no matter what, God provides. Thanks for sharing that, Aaron. Will you obey God even though it doesn't make sense? Do you trust him enough even though your bank account says there's not enough? That's what Aaron did. That's what the Israelites did. They saw a huge wall, but God saw a huge opportunity. Can you imagine? Like, I, like, I don't know if we all know this, but they didn't have tanks back then. Like they didn't have mortars or Tom Cruise to fly in on a jet with missiles to take the wall down. Like I always think about the conversations that weren't written in the Bible. I just imagine Joshua saying, Lord, we don't have that type of weaponry to take this wall down. What do you want us to do? And I can see God reply back with, uh, okay, but what do you have? The Israelites, they had some soldiers and some weapons, sure. But you know what they really had? Yo, they had some worship leaders. They had some priests. They had ram's horns that they used in their religious festivals. They had their God-given natural voices that they would use to sing songs of praise. And they had a movable, mobile altar that carried the tablets where the Ten Commandments were written called the Ark of the Covenant. Look, these instructions from God weren't random. There's a reason why the priests were up front and the soldiers were in the back. In verse 8 of our passage, it says, After Joshua spoke to the people, the seven priests with the ram's horde started marching in the presence of the Lord. The best weapon any army, any soldier, any human being can have is the presence of the Lord on their side. The Israelites were fighting against physical soldiers and guards. But for us right here in 2022, Ephesians 6.12 says this, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. 
but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. God's presence is top-tier arsenal in your spiritual, mental, and emotional battles. Come on now, if you could just have the epiphany that God is with you in the middle of your fight against cancer, because that's how it was for me, that God is with you even when that kid keeps bullying you, that God is with you even when you're going through another miscarriage. In the middle of the hardship, the best weapon you got against pain is God's presence. <laughs> Psalm 13, five through six says, but I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you've rescued me. I will sing, I will sing to the Lord because he's good to me. Now look, I know you've seen this, whether it be in this church or another. You've seen some people go crazy during worship, like dancing, yelling loudly, or our students would call it wilding out. (laughs) Hey, I know that I look ridiculous when I'm dancing to my testimony, but that's because when I was a dumb 25-year-old doing dumb things, I actually could have died. And so when the lyrics say, if I'm not dead, then you're not done, man, it means something to me. How can I not worship with my full body? I fell on my knees right over here three weeks ago to the song, Oh, Come to the Altar, because that's the song Jesus used in the parking lot of a Friday's restaurant to make me realize I needed to come back home to him. And I know, I know you've seen some of our talented worship leaders take their microphones and jump and hop and spin around and many other people looking like straight up fools when these worship songs start playing. You might have thought, that's too much. That's disrespectful. Man, do I have permission to challenge you? Yeah, you might as well say yes because I'm going to do it regardless. (laughs) It's a rhetorical question. Man, but what if you have no idea what that person's story is? What if you're judging based on a singular moment on a Sunday morning and not in an expanded view of a human being's difficult life experience in relation to their encounter with the Savior, Jesus Christ? What if that person in the front row is battling an addiction and all they can do is kneel and raise their hands to God? What if that person in the second row just find out their grandchild's going to live after a difficult pregnancy and all they can do is sing and move and groove and celebrate God loudly? Yo, please hear me. I'm not saying that the way some of us worship is wrong. I don't know your hearts, but I want to ask and challenge you. Are you using the weapon of worship God gave you or are you refusing it? Because for the Israelites, this was all they had. For some of us in this room, our our praise, our hearts of praise, our hallelujahs is all we have. Worship was their weapon against walls. There was no way that they were going to get through this gigantic barrier of a wall. So they just had to put all their faith and trust into God's plan, not theirs. Ram's horns? Let's go, God. We can play that. Oh, you want us to march? Uncle Oral only got one leg, but he's ready. How many times, Lord? Oh, every day for seven days straight? All right, bet. In verse 14, it says, On the second day, they again marched around the town once and returned to the camp. They followed this pattern for six days. What's the pattern that you follow? For some of us here, we like to have coffee every morning, every day. My mom, if she didn't have a coffee in the morning, she would get a caffeine headache. You know, um, I I don't know if you can tell, but I've got like a, a vulnerable body type. Uh, so when I was younger, I was a twig, but now I'm 35, I'm a twig with like a growing berry in the middle. <laughs> so, 
So I'm starting to work out a bit more, you know, going, going to the gym, you know, trying to refine my dad bod. Um, and I ain't scared of it, okay? I ain't scared of it. So I'll go to the gym about three or four times a week. And you know what I realize? Man, these are the people who are just like yoked or ripped or shredded. They work out every single day. It's not just a pattern for them. It's a principle. And their bodies are strong, not because of the consistency of like their movements, but because of their dedication towards something more. They want more muscle mass, more health, more lifespan. When we talk about being obedient to God and worshiping him, do you think it's an hour once a week type thing? No way. We're not gonna gain spiritual muscle that way. There is strength in repetition. We gotta be like these people who go to the gym. We gotta go to God every day. Regardless if it's because you're in a terrible situation and you need God to rescue you, or if you're having the best season of your life and you want to just thank God for all the blessings. Going to God shouldn't be on a needs-to-needs basis. Being with God should be a relationship-building process that ends here on earth only after you've actually met him up there in heaven. Fam, I hope you know that when you said yes to baptism, that's what you signed up for. You signed up for a relationship and I don't know any decent relationship that's actually sustained or maintained when, when it's only one person trying. God told the Israelites to march around and worship for seven days straight every day. There's a few reasons for it. One, the number seven has huge significance in scripture. God uses the number seven to symbolize completion. He created the earth in six days, rested on the seventh. He wanted to remind the Israelites that without him, the battle is not complete. Without God, your battle is not complete. Another reason I believe is because the devil doesn't take a break. The enemy will build walls to stop you from going to God every moment, every minute, every morning. And guys, I've been hearing a lot of walls lately, a lot. One of them is, um, Alan, I, I just can't read my Bible. I don't know, I just can't. And you know why that breaks my heart and God's heart? is because he himself, through the incredible power of the Holy Spirit, he, he inspired this, this tangible, physical gateway for us to talk to him. And we just can't. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Man, if we want to get to our more, Getting connected with God through his word is one of our first steps. And I know some of us have, have different abilities and inabilities, and it's harder to read for some people because of things like dyslexia and other reading uh, disorders. But based on a statistic on thinkimpact.com, it says nationwide, on average, 79% of U.S. adults are literate in 2022. 21% of adults in the U.S. are illiterate in 2022. So despite what you think about the education system, most of us can read, but some can't, which means reading is a God-given blessing. Y'all are blessed if you can read. If you can read lyrics on a screen, you can read a Bible. If you can read a restaurant menu, you can read a Bible. If you can read a Facebook post or a text, you can read a Bible. But Alan, I don't understand the Bible. I don't know, thy, thou, thou, so it's weird. Okay. Yeah, but, but as of 2022, there are as many as 50 English versions of the Bible. If you need a version that's super contemporary and understandable, pick up Eugene Peterson's The Message Translation. 
All right, check it out. Uh, I'm going to read a passage from the, an older version of the Bible, and then I'll read that same passage with the message version. Ready? <clears throat> Romans 15:4, King James Version. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. That's how I, it's in my head, that's how I read it. Now here's the message version. Even if it was written in scripture long ago, you can be sure it's written for us. God wants the combination of his steady, constant calling and warm personal counsel in scripture to come to characterize us, keeping us alert for whatever he will do next. We got kids' versions of the Bible. Thank you. We got comic book versions. We got audio versions. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you're not just getting your theology from quotes on Instagram or TikTok, but you're getting it from God himself. Thank you. Because, look, this thing, this physical thing you can carry with you, it's written for us. And fam, I'm not saying all this to be snooty. I'm just letting you know that I hated reading as a student. And because I hated reading, I got bad grades. And because I got bad grades, as far as Asian kids go, I was pretty disappointing. <laughs> Man, you should have seen my mom. She just like gave up when I was like 16. She's like, Man, at least you could sing. That's good. But even though I don't like reading, I love spending time with God more. As a follower of Christ, if we just dismiss the Bible as just another book at Walmart, we're missing out on the most tactile tool we can use every day to spend time with our Father. Okay, Alan, I get it. But when do I have time? I got 20 kids. I work full time. I'm getting my master's. I'm volunteering. When do I have time? Time, time, time. Well, didn't God create time? I'm not unsympathetic to our busy lives. Trust me, I'm guilty of the busy. But have you ever just asked God to hang out? If he can create time for all humanity, he can surely make some time to spend with you. Man, if you just say something like, God, my life is busy, but you're the Lord of my life. Can we please spend time together? Now, just be aware, uh, he might say something back, like, okay, great. Stop, stop arguing with that random person online. Let's go take a walk in the park. Oh, okay, you want to spend time? Okay, awesome. Stop checking your email. Go take your wife out to lunch. Oh, nice, yeah. Stop listening to Fox News and start listening to sermons instead. Yo, I'm not saying it's easy. It's one of the most challenging things we could do. It's uncomfortable to sacrifice your time, to change your routine, or to break a habit. But we have to get out of our own will so God can have his. Out of all the things we have to do on our to-do list, connect with God should be top priority. We all have different ways to connect with him. We, we just have to find which ones we could do consistently that allow us that deeper connection so we can hear his voice clearly. You like to fish? Man, go catch a bull trout with God. You like listening to music? Sit in your car, listen to Graves in the Gardens. I just urge you to find something simple in your day that you can invite God into because it'll change your mindset. Check this out. James 4.8 says, come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided by God and the world. The daily busyness of our lives will take away our time with God. No question. The devil doesn't want us to be devoted. He wants us to be distracted. Man, I was distracted for years. 
I grew up as an only child, so in the summer as a kid, I'd, I'd stay at home by myself because all the adults were at work. I'd, I'd walk around trying to find something to do because my Game Boy wasn't charged or I, I've already seen that, that Barney or that DuckTales episode already. And I remember walking in my uncle's room, looking under his bed and finding his porn. My porn addiction started when I was eight years old. Now, as I went through life, it affected my view on women. I hurt people I loved, and it caused more loneliness, more depression, more trauma. Not to mention, in that time frame, God had been wanting to use me. I felt him calling me through different people, but instead of getting closer to him, I got farther away. I was distracted. I knew in my heart God wanted more from me. But each time I laid eyes on that evil, it laid down a single brick until eventually there was this big wall and I couldn't even see the promised land he had promised for me. Time goes on after a lot of bad decisions and one divorce later, God leads me to John, Kelly, and my now wife, Sarah. They marched, they marched in front of me, leading me towards Jesus. And after I got baptized, I thought, finally, I'm free in Christ. I win. I'm, I'm free. But, but that's not how it works. I was still watching porn. I was still craving it. It wasn't until I realized that my willpower isn't going to help me. It's my love for Jesus that will. I, f- I stopped focusing on my life and made it a mission to learning about his. I found a daily routine that helped me to spend time with him read his word, worship him, talk with him. But yo, it sucked at first. You know why? Because I sacrificed sleep. God and I met every day at 5.30 a.m. in the morning. But fam, even though it was rough at first, I learned to love it because I learned to love God. And eventually, in my time with him and support from other people who've, who've gone through the same things, I can give all glory to God right in front of you because I've been free and sober from porn for almost two years. And I'm not saying that you have to do what I did, that you have to wake up super early, or that you even have an addiction to get rid of. But if you want to get to know what God's more is for you, be in God's presence every day. Because let me tell you straight up from the mouth of God, you're a masterpiece. You are made for more. You're made for more love. You're made for more freedom. You're made for more joy. You're made for more kindness. You're made for more than just your political point of view. You're made for more than just your age. You're made for more than just your job. You're made for more than a Sunday morning. You're made for more than what other human beings say about you. You are made for more. Somebody say, I'm made for more. But do you believe it? Because our hearts won't grasp it until you hear God's voice tell you himself. At the end of Joshua chapter 6, it says, So the Lord was with Joshua. Fam, we've been talking this whole time about how we are made for more, but are you ready for it when God gives it to you? Your self-discipline will not only set you free, but it'll also help you put God first. Because if we get to our more and we stop doing that, we make the more our idol. Because at the end of the day, our goal in life should always be to be with the Lord here on earth so we can be up there in heaven with him. That's why it's important for us to be like the Israelites. We should be obedient to God even though it seems absurd. We need to realize that worship is a weapon against walls and discipline builds devotion, repetition builds strength. And there's another one I think we missed. In verse 16 of our passage, it says, 
The seventh time around, as the priests sounded the long blast on their horns, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord your God has given you the town. You know what I think? I don't think we shout enough in church. Yo, as warriors for God in a spiritual battle, sometimes I wonder, where's our battle cry? Psalm 98.4 says, come, everyone, clap your hands, shout to God with joyful praise. Leviticus 9.24 says, fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When the people saw this, they shouted with joy and fell face down on the ground. 2 Samuel 6.15, so David and all the people of Israel brought the, up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. Shouting is a part of our Christian lineage. Psalm 145, verse, verse 4 from the New King James Version. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. The word praise there in Hebrew is something we learned before. Remember? It's Shabbat, which means to praise God loudly. Shouting is a way to praise. And I believe this generation here in this room knows that God is with us wherever we go. So we have a reason to worship. We have a reason to raise our voices. Man, regardless... Regardless of the bad situation, regardless of the bad diagnosis, regardless of all the setbacks, Jesus died for it all. Jesus spread his life for it all. So we have a reason to shout, amen? Okay, it's good. We're gonna practice it right now. When I raise my hand like this, we shout, okay? Shout from the bottom of your guts. Just reach in and use your voice and remember that God's already given you Jericho. He's already given you the victory. Are you ready? We're gonna practice this. Ready? Oh, yeah. Okay, for real this time. God is a good father. God has made me for more. God will tear down my walls. Father, I thank you for showing us that we are made in your image. Help us to be more connected with you. There are seven days out of the week, Lord, just like the amount of days you told the Israelites to march. Help us to spend time with you every single day so we can hear your voice. Be in our battles every day. Help us to get the more you made us for. God, we love you. Let's shout amen on three. One, two, 